0: The sponsor of today's episode, uh, Magic Mind, they were kind enough to send me a pack of their shots, um, nootropic shots that are designed naturally and organically, and have been a perfect complement to my morning coffee. I also have a similar routine in which I wake up and consume mushroom coffee. I feel like that's a good way to jumpstart my day and really get the brain working and you know clear the fog that you usually have when you wake up. And so, Magic Mind personally for me has been a great complement to that routine and this isn't even one of those sponsored uh, episodes where they say hey here's here's money just talk about our product they actually sent me the product up front and they said if you like it feel free to talk about it and so i researched on their website you know the people that created this product are extreme, extremely credible individuals that are experts in this field of um, creating nootropics and finding you know the perfect formula to jumpstart your day without having a crash after a while so this has been perfect for me um, and i encourage everybody listening to check it out in the description um, and i'll have a promo code there as well i appreciate your time appreciate you doing this if real quick you want to do an intro for the listeners that may not know who you are and what you do yeah
1: so my name is Gabriela fierro i was born in bogota colombia and then i moved here and has been raised here in houston For quite some time, bounced around Texas a little bit, but mostly in Houston now. And I've always focused around sustainability, but more so how to live a a healthy life and how to make sure that we're not, we're living in harmony with the environment that's not only around us, but in us as well. I mean, we rely on the millions of organisms that are inside our own body to keep us alive. So I think we forget that connection. Uh, Right now I work for a company that builds and renovates and really rethinks the built environment, mainly for universities, cities, and school districts. But I also focus my spare time on, on having conversations like these on the Absolutely Right podcast as well. But then just meeting new people and going to everything I possibly can. You just came back from the Afro tech conference that Tanaka connected me with, which was awesome. Um, but But yeah, yeah, it's a quick snippet. <laughs>
0: No, absolutely. Um, And we were just talking about some of the initiatives that you're part of. If you want to dive deeper into how you got started and what kind of made you gravitate towards those initiatives.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, well, it all comes back to you and you're talking about this just now is when I was younger, I would go back and visit Colombia for the whole summer. So three or more months. And I would love it because it was Think if anyone's seen the movie Encanto and everything's like the new Disney one that's uh, based out of Colombia and what that whole place is like. So it's, it is very full of vegetation once you get out of the city and the colors just seem a little bit more vibrant there for me, at least. So I remember we would drive from the capital, which is where I'm from, and we would try to go to the coast or other surrounding villages. And on the drive, we would all be talking and bonding and I couldn't help but notice that the river was turning rainbow colored because of the chemicals that you could see on the top layer of the water. I remember seeing mining operations and the disparity in how different people were living. You would leave Sonate, which is the nice, you know, rich area. And then you would go and and pass through places where people were living in in just their own built with cardboard and metal and wood houses. And, And that bothered me a lot. I couldn't understand how people could pass over that every day and not feel a sense of wanting to do something about it. Um, But I guess it's a desensitization of I was coming in from an outside place, essentially. Um, So that was a core memory that whenever it came time to figure out what I was going to do, I was like, I need to do something about this. So any opportunity that came up or that I thought of, I would, I would make it. I went to the World Future Energy Summit a few years back in Abu Dhabi and just networked around there, got to meet the CMO of Siemens Middle East, and all of that was because I said, Hey, I'm just gonna send a message. And worst case, they say no.
0: No, that's awesome. Um, you seem like you found essentially a problem and then took initiative and just moving in the right direction, you know, not necessarily being like I want to solve this now, but at least what can I do? What you know, how can I change the course of my life to move in a direction through which I can potentially solve these issues in the future. And I think that's that's a fascinating thing um, to have figured out at, a, at an early age. I think a lot of people, uh, and I'm not sure how old you are, but you seem young. So it, it seems we're like, <laughs> sorry?
1: We're the same age.
0: Oh, we're the same age. Okay. So yeah, it is fascinating to have a sense of purpose and direction at this age. And then that with initiative and motivation and I'd be curious to hear where you think that comes from in your life where do you think you you know where do you go to derive a source of motivation to make these to take these certain initiatives
1: yeah I think motivation wanes and rises so sometimes we feel like sometimes I feel like oh I'm gonna go run a mile and do a workout and then some days I don't but I you still have to find the willpower and I think that's anchored in a central why that's outside of yourself right it's not only i want to make money and champion the edge of this new career so i can be rich right that if i didn't have motivation that day i wouldn't do it because it's not anchored in something deeper than itself but i think when when it's when I don't feel like it or I'm tired or I'm jumping from to thing what keeps me going is is the refugees I talked to in Italy what keeps me going is is the people I saw in the beautiful villages in my home it, it's those core memories of other people and things that show me hey if someone has to get up and do something and it only works if many of us are doing that so it's it's almost not worth staying in and I will add a note that I love what I do I love I mean, my friends think I'm crazy because I'll stay up till like four reading or making something and they're like, you're insane. So uh, just as a caveat that I love to work, so it's not really work for me.
0: Yeah. And the people that think you're insane kind of miss the point. It's it's like, you no, know, you go out and, and, and do X, Y, and Z thing to feel the same thing I feel by doing what I'm doing that you think is crazy. Um, that's a sidebar conversation. I think we can even go down that path for now. Um, you know, just maneuvering in environments and around people that don't necessarily believe in you or aren't conducive to your overall mission or goal or path in life. I think there's value in knowing how to be around those people, knowing how to let them serve whatever purpose they have to serve in your life without really letting them, influence or impose their own judgment on your path what's your experience with that because I'm sure you said you network a lot you meet a lot of people you know how do you not wear off the path because certain people have different ideologies
1: yeah I think I'm pretty self-aware I know I'm even so intuitive like if I'm cooking and I feel like I should something red or something with this specific thing so I, I really am in tune with what my intuition I guess I don't know what to not go down a religious or a spiritual path that, that's just so with people I think it's the same thing where before I would say unless some, someone gives you a reason not to be their friend you should you should allow them into your space because I had a pretty open policy with that and then I realized not everyone's energies are going to match yours not everyone's vision is gonna align, not everyone's gonna be able to comprehend what you're doing. So I think, especially this year, I've been really unapologetic about what I love to do. And I just think about it in a term, if you have your own company and your HR, you're gonna hire a court, hire people that believe in your mission, hire people that are that you want to grow them and they want you to see you grow as well. It's kind of a mutual relationship. So that's how I've taken and kind of Reestablished early in the year, I described it as the draft. Right? How do you draft people into your life team? And there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, this person doesn't align with me right now, or we're not in the same place. Maybe they don't have the bandwidth. That's okay. You don't have to cut ties completely, but it can be a just reallocation of your time because time is valuable. We only have so much of it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't even auditing their time or their friendships in that manner at all, and it blows my mind because you know, I have friends and I keep hearing negativity or keep hearing stories of where they're the victim and they don't understand why this keeps happening. And I think it points to, you know, what you just said is like, you really have to be mindful of your energy, your time and who you spend time with. If you're around the unhappy and the miserable and the negative, you're essentially either going to be in a position where you have to rescue them and stop whatever you're doing or... You're end up gonna, you're gonna end up being like them mm-hmm. and it really is kind of an unfortunate part of reality in the sense that you have to just make decisions and like you just have to cut people out and it's it's sad sometimes it's 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 um I don't know I, I mean I've, I'm recently going through something similar and I just feel a sense of empathy and I feel mm-hmm. like the need to rescue these people my friends but I also know mm-hmm. I can't And I just have to make my own decisions because if I stop, then there is no guarantee of rescue. But if I keep going potentially in the future, I could rescue them.
1: But at what, at what cost, right. To your own mental health, at what cost to your own sanity? Because I've been in the same place before. I remember just with this one friend and specifically you're looking in college and like I can help this person, we can do an intervention and pull their parents in and try to really, and at the end of the day, none, none of it worked because it only matters if that person is willing to meet you and do the work. I think that's what, that's what sucks about it, right? That it's almost like this, this these are all the keys this is what you can do. Come on, let's just do it together. And if they're not willing to, then you, you know, there's really nothing that you can do and it's not fair to your own. The same way parents say, I just want to prevent you from making the mistakes that I made. And then as a child, usually we say, let me make my own mistakes so I can learn. And it's, I think a big part of that is radical accountability. When I do something and something doesn't go my way or I fail, I'm radically accountable with myself. I would say literally out loud, we'll say, this is what we should have done. Because of the X, Y, and Z, we didn't allocate the time correctly. We didn't do it. So what are we going to do next time? I will literally have that conversation with myself. That way, when I'm having that conversation with other people, I also hold them accountable because I'm able to do that with myself, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're not like lying to yourself or living in a bubble of delusion, um, justifying every single action that you partake in because you're emotionally connected to how it makes you feel and stuff. I think it's good to be rational and objective with yourself, because that's the framework you apply to others and then eventually the world and you magnify that framework and if it's rooted in delusion which again is a very like tricky thing because you almost have to be delusional and naive in some way to really think you can make an impact right but then at what point do you reach a point of complete objectivity and rational and rational way of thinking so that you're not promoting false ideals I think that's a very tricky path to to walk down. Um, but based on what we're talking about, something came to my mind. Um, I think I heard one of these, some somebody on the internet uh, talk about the fact that a lot of people want to change the world or impact the world and make a difference or make an impact rather, but they should start with their own families and friends. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be fascinating. I'm curious to hear what you think about that. Do you think we should start with people around us, try to fix them, try to fix their lives before we think, hey, maybe I'll go make a big change in the world and and save the world essentially?
1: Huh. That's interesting. I think I don't agree a little bit. And I think that's because we tend to want cookie cutter explanations for human behavior and cookie cutter explanations for what we should do, right? The key to success for everyone, the key to changing the world for everyone. But I think someone that I read about the other day had the idea to go to Guatemala and start like a dog rescue center thing. And they previously had no connection to Guatemala, now they're growing something huge. huge. I never had that inspiration. That idea was never hatched in my brain. So I wasn't meant to follow it. But for that person that had that calling, that's what they were meant to follow. So I think I think we should we should always start working within ourselves to be right a kind, open minded, challenging person when it's you know challenging others' perspectives and challenging others to grow that are immediately around us with every interaction. But I also think we shouldn't limit ourselves to okay. First, need to ch- work with family and friends because sometimes those are the people that are the most toxic relationships that we have that we have to work on, and they don't always deserve all of our time and our efforts to think. You know what I'm saying? So. I think that can be a little dangerous if we just focus there and shut ourselves out to the ideas that we could have.
0: Yeah. And the only value I see in that statement or in that way of thinking is you have more room for nuances. Like in the world, we, we, I mean, we live in the era where there's no nuance. Like everything is a statement. Everything is supposed to be the magic phrase or, Magic video that you watch, and and it's supposed to change your life and inspire you. And like, there's no reading between the lines, there's no explanation, right? Because you have to be concise and you have to be dynamic and all these things to get views and get people to exactly. You got to get people to follow you, you got to retention, you got to keep them on the video, whatever. In that, you lose the deeper layer of explanation. And I feel like that's the only thing you can present to your friends and family. Because it's hard to present that to the world without them really tuning into what you're doing full. And and nobody has the attention span. I hope that's making sense. It's really like if I I have to capture an audience, I'm not going to be able to convey what I truly want to say. I'm only going to be able to capture them in a way that they want to be captured, which is 30-second clips of me saying some controversial shit right and then they, they and then hope that they watch the rest of the the thing and then get an understanding of and this is a problem with a lot of these self-help people and a lot of these people that have grown massive followings and stuff it's like they're really preying on the insecurities of of individuals that are sad on a regular basis and don't know what to do with their lives and you just promote the death of nuance
1: mm-hmm. and and we're so flex- different people need different things. I think you're right. It's, we want the, the diet. That's going to be the one when in reality, pick one and stick with it or pick the one that's best for your actual body type. Not everyone can be completely vegetarian or completely vegan. Some people's body chemistries need other things. So I think we do that with everything. And it's so unfortunate because we're really all so different. And, and even in this conversation that we're having together, we're constantly learning about each other and kind of challenging our ideas that wouldn't happen if we were exactly the same you know and we can have mutual interests but at the end of the day you're going to learn from every because everyone around you has knows something that you don't and I think that's amazing you can talk to someone in in the street and they know something that you don't know I think we miss out on that when we try to find the thing right because we're We're on our devices where everything's like five seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds. And we don't take the time to have a valuable conversation to sit down and say, okay, why do you think that? We don't allow time for that anymore.
0: We definitely don't. And this is an interesting way to look at this. I just thought of this. Like we're essentially trying to verbally communicate what happens at a neural level in our brain and that lag or that like barrier is where things get lost in translation. Like if you could legitimately feel how I feel when you say something, you would know how I'm reacting to it. But I have to convey it through my words and like the subtleties and X, Y, and Z feeling that muddied up my words in that sentence kind of shape how you view and perceive somebody. And it's like, we have to get better at knowing how to communicate, I think, and not just going off of, quick phrases quick words and you know quick judgments towards each other's characters and categorization I think very much so we're easy to categorize people just I mean I see it all over the place like as as a man that has a podcast if I ever talk to a girl um, and I have a girlfriend I mean she's a very understanding person but before her like if I'm going out with girls and I'm talking to them and I'm explaining like hey I have a podcast immediately I get categorized right and yeah. then you kind of lose that nuance of, wait, but you don't even know what I talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, we're, we're really becoming a certain way in terms of our ability to filter through conversation and people. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on that in the sense where you navigate in these environments. You know, how do you, I guess, how do you retain your authenticity without getting categorized as a person that's whatever category, right? whatever negative perception
1: people can have of you yeah i think i think it's challenging i think it's knowing what boxes you typically fit into so sometimes i'll fit into white passing so people assume that i don't speak spanish and then so then i'll play with those assumptions or if i enter a professional space uh, with different legislators i remember years ago uh, on their agenda it was meet with fierro And I walked in with a a colleague of mine that was supposed to help and take notes and support. Well, the, the, the Senator at the time passed over me and shook his hand and said, hi, Mr. Fierro." (laughs) And it was a moment of, okay, this is the box that it's an assumption that the person that was supposed to meet for this topic was going to be male. So I think I play with it a little bit now. I think before I used to get a little bit better and say, you know, it's so hard as a Latina in construction or Latina in, in science and technology. And then I said, no, it's fun because we get to blaze a trail. And I think it's that shift in your reality because you can only change what your reality is. You can't really affect what's happening to you. So I think once I shifted that, uh, now if someone's speaking to me in, in English, gets pretty comfortable saying certain things. I'll say, OK, and then I'll put in a Spanish word. I'll say something well when I was back home here and it's funny because it's subtle things and I'm still making um polite conversation with them but you see their wheels you see the face of like now they're computing Mm -hmm. again they're trying to figure out whoa whoa what box so Mm -hmm. it's knowing the boxes that you fit in and and playing with them because people don't and, and I've dealt with it when I've dealt with migration topics people Put people in boxes because they haven't been able to interact with someone they've been in their bubble um, of people that look and sound and think like them so it's it's challenging that a little bit so that their box grows and eventually their box just breaks down and they realize no these people are are just like me and at the same time they're different and they're interesting and they have really good food and cool just culture you know it kind of begins to open that a little bit slowly
0: yeah for sure and I think it's a uh testament to the lack of I guess foundational development for a lot of people Um, including I mean I can speak from my perspective like the only reason I've evolved into the person I am is because I put in effort and work I wasn't naturally born like this like nobody's naturally born with you know well actually that's you can argue that as well I think we are naturally born without bias and we are naturally born to accept everybody for who they are um, but through your adolescence, through your foundational years, you do become more of a, you you develop a way of critically thinking and calculating that mm-hmm. I feel like isn't modified until you actually make an effort. Because eventually you just have to do it yourself. Like nobody's going to continue to teach you how to modify your way of thinking. No. That's the whole idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's long after you finish school. I think people think oh, I'm done learning. That's so scary. What do you mean you're done learning? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> not even through half of our life yet. I think, and it's it's in the way that you that people view themselves. Um, I've have friends that they'll literally say all the time, "I'm a lifelong learner. I'm a lifelong learner." So it's yourself, your perception of yourself, and I think the things that we tell each other, like, "I'm not good at reading. I'm not a book person." I, I have been guilty of saying I'm not a math person. Why? Why? Who told you that? Who taught you to believe that? And I think sometimes it's our teachers and our parents. Uh, The Four Agreements talks about what society works so hard to preserve. And sometimes people do it to, to protect you and to make sure that you fit in. But it's also Bad. And it's also it can be really negative to our development, the way that we communicate. Because if you're preserving this self image of to be a good girl in society, you need to do this and that. Well, then that's hindering you from growing where you need to be. So it's, I think a lot of us challenges later on. I have friends that will say, Yeah, my, I heard my parents say this and then I challenged them because I didn't agree with it. That's growth. As long as you're doing it respectfully and it doesn't get too, <laughs> too heated.
0: Yeah. The self image is. One of the um, most potent factors in how we communicate and treat each other, and how we view the world. I think that's essentially what everybody's preying on. Um, people that make it big on social media, or have large followings, or the endless self-help individuals that have been able to sell billions of dollars worth of courses and and event tickets and classes. It's all. It's all. And I don't want to use the word praying, but I'm going to use it for a lack of a better term because, again, there's nuance there. It's not everybody, right? And there's a lot of value in these things as well. You get to meet people. But for the most part, it is essentially preying on people's idea of themselves and trying to sell them on a better version of who they could be and give them an idea of like, hey, you can have all of these things. I can give you everything you want to feel better about your life and yourself. All you have to do is buy my shit. And I feel like it's, you know, I guess if you want to speak to that, how do you, how have you developed yourself while not falling victim to that way of thinking or consuming? You know what I mean? Because you have to navigate yourself. Like It's almost like, hey, I'm flying a plane with no path. I don't have autopilot. I don't know where I'm going. But I hope I can fly and figure it out on my own, as opposed to like I pay somebody to feel like I'm on a path, but I only feel like I'm on a path as long as I keep paying them.
1: Yeah. I'm also very pro resources, though. If, if something's worth the investment, do it. But I think to your, to your point, your question goes back to radical accountability. I think I understand the way that the marketing and advertisement world works. I understand that they pull on our emotions and our feelings to be more than, or to be, you know, the a beautiful person if it's a beauty product, or a a successful person if it's those help help um, programs. I think at the end of the day, I just sit back and say, what 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 information can I not find a book or a publicly already available video that's not doesn't have any money associated with? Because if you can't that's the bare minimum right I think whenever you're paying someone for a course you're trying to do a shortcut you're you're subconsciously saying. Let me do this thing because it's faster they're just gonna tell me what to do well you didn't do the bare minimum work You, you didn't read the books that you have on your shelf that you haven't touched. You didn't talk to the people in your life and your network that are already where you want to go or that are doing amazing things. You didn't do the bare minimum. So how can you expect to get where you want to go? And I think that's how I evaluate those resources. There's so much free content and and I've paid for a, just, I took a course at Oxford and paid for it. And I sat back and I said, okay, this has resources that I can't don't have access to right now. So then I'm going to make the investment. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate to say how obvious of a way of thinking that is, um, given the fact that this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's very, very true. I think it all just points to information at the end of the day. Like if you convince somebody they can do it, they'll probably figure it out. But if, if if we keep, you know, and I say we as a collective human race, if we keep promoting certain ideas and I think majority of the content on social media right now is to make people feel bad about themselves, Mm -hmm. is to make them feel less than so that they purchase products or do all of these things that we talked about, you know, capitalistic mechanisms to really like get their self-image back. India And I have a similar experience seeing people in poverty and seeing situations that really didn't sit well with my, my spirit and my soul in a way. And mm-hmm. I always felt like growing up, like there has to be something I can do. There has to be somebody working on this. Um, there has to be a, a, you know, a solve to this. And the only thing that that situation has done is given me perspective. That's the only thing that's happened. Poverty still exists. People mm-hmm. still dying of hunger but yeah. we're becoming more and more aware, and you know it, it, the impact it has is it shapes how you view the world and how, for granted or whatever gratitude you express in in your own journey and your own way of viewing the world. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is, how has that shaped you? You touched on that before, um, but also, you know, what are some of those? conversations like what are what are some of those solves that are being worked on like because I have no exposure to that
1: in my day-to-day yeah I think and I talked about this recently where there are people working on so many things when I've gone in and worked with different programs be it migration be it climate change inequalities between white and brown and black people here in the United States. I think these are called wicked issues for a reason, right? That's the term wicked problems. Well, they're wicked because they're not easily solvable. And they're usually all mixed in together. For example, environmental injustice or environmental racism. Well, someone once asked me, said, what is that? Like you discriminate certain types of trees. And I, I laughed and I said, no, it's... The fact that the people that are the most economically disadvantaged tend to live really close to landfills and um, facilities that are pluming just toxic chemicals into the air and into the water. Well, those people are even more vulnerable to that because they're experiencing the pollutants every day. So all that to say, it's that there's so many things that you can get plugged into and groups and, and people that you can ask if you can help and support. Maybe it's just spreading information. Maybe it's, you can do an actual project with them and go visit the site. I think what we need to remember at the end of the day, and it, you might relate since you're from India and have seen that. And I've felt it definitely in Colombia when I've seen it is we tend to enter these spaces. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with like mission trips and things like that. We tend to enter these spaces, from a perspective that we know better and that we're bringing in a solution and that will always fail because we didn't take the time to find out what the actual problems were and what those people are experiencing. And those people usually have an idea for how to do the solution. And I think, I know that's a pretty mixed up way to answer your question, but I think it's really important that if we want to solve these problems we need to involve the people that are there and sometimes just listening and asking them hey what is this like or what do you think the solution is or what do you think the problem is because sometimes what we think is the problem is not actually the root of the problem if that makes sense
0: yeah that makes sense um taking a more you know grassroots approach of really getting insight from the people that are suffering the most or have the most visibility into the day-to-day issues as opposed to applying a framework that you have developed in your privileged place. And you're just like, Hey, this works for us. Or we think this is what's best for you. I can definitely see that
1: on the back for helping.
0: Right. I mean, it, it, it's such a hard problem though. It is a very difficult problem. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll say this, like, I'm not exposed to this, nor do I focus on this at all. I have a framework again it's it's kind of the same analogy I have a framework that I apply to other issues and I solve problems very well in my life and at my work and everything and I feel like I could tackle this problem with a similar framework but again I don't know the day-to-day so Mm -hmm. take whatever I'm saying you know with a grain of salt I'm just kind of talking about something objectively I don't know what it's like but I feel like I genuinely don't understand why it's such a difficult problem to solve. For example, world hunger. I personally don't understand why it's so hard. We have an abundance of food. We mm-hmm. have so much food and it probably does not cost that much money to provide basic nutritious meals to people that are starving. You can take a loss. We spend money in so many different ways. I mean, people reference the military budget, people reference all sorts of things that they can say, hey, if we just get a percentage of this and apply it towards world hunger, we can solve this. I think the UN or UNICEF tweeted at Elon saying 6 billion will solve world hunger. Yet they've raised 8 billion or 20 billion in the past five years, and nobody solved world hunger. And it's like, I don't understand why it's such a difficult problem. Um, Do you happen to have any insight regarding that? Do you know what the Nuances are there. Do you know why it's such a big issue and why it's so difficult?
1: A little bit. Um, I've worked a little bit with food insecurity, um, specifically with with kids along the border, and why a lot of them don't have access to quality nutrition and how that makes sense if they're in the United States. How are we in, in the country that we're in, how is that still happening? And I think with a lot of these issues, even environmental degradation is very similar. And that is the the systems that we have to distribute food and the patterns of consumption don't fit in with what we need to do. So those those two systems that are so ingrained in the way that we sell and produce food and price food, right? So why is a burger $2 and a salad is $16? There's something that's going on there. There's something that isn't making sense <clears throat> and then uh, I remember talking to kids who I had asked them, sorry. <clears throat> I had asked a, a child at the school, I said, what's your favorite food? And he said, um, my favorite food is, is the spaghetti that they serve here. And I said, okay, what's your favorite fruit? And I was asking him about different fruits and he didn't, had never seen a pear, never seen a kiwi. He had never seen a few other foods that were appalling to me that, and I realized that these kids, the only meal that they were having were the meals that they had at school. So whenever it was summer or whenever it was after school, they weren't eating. And I think that is such a huge issue that can easily be solved when we think about the amount of food waste that we have. The fact that Panera, at the end of every day, I'm not picking on them specifically, it's just the first example that I have, or Starbucks, because I've seen it. They'll have a bag of all the food that day that they had to throw away a day early because that's their protocol, and they throw it in the dumpster. That's ridiculous to me because we're not building in the systems because what's the incentive? Are they making money from it? No. Exactly. If it's more expensive to to put in systems or ways of preserving food or distribution systems to give the food to someone else, and that might be expensive, right? But at what cost, right? At what cost are we hindering people that aren't able to be contributing members of the society to our economy because they don't have the nutrition that they need because they're getting, and I think, again, it's the ways that we have externalities to our economy, right, that are affecting it. But we don't think about them so there are things that are difficult to tackle like if someone doesn't have quality nutrition they're probably not going to have the best health right if they don't have the best health how are they going to work in a job that's demanding nine to five every day or whatever schedule it is well they're going to end up using the medical they're going to have medical needs well then if they have heart health issues or liver health issues and they can't pay their medical bills. Well, then they're going to have to go on another program or OMA. You see, it's this vicious cycle that's actually costing all of us as taxpayers that pay for those certain things. But we don't make that connection. And I think it's a matter of connecting those jobs because you are absolutely right. There, there's enough food out there. With the amount of food waste that we have, we could feed all the people that are starving, especially here in, in Texas, just north of the Mexico-U.S. border.
0: Yeah, I think the issues with those externalities kind of stem from a person's habits, too. Because if you get used to acting a certain way, and you get used to your consumption patterns, you're not really going to think about the impact that these things have on your productivity or your health. And then you're going to continue down that vicious cycle. And I kind of see, you know, I, I empathize with it. I understand it. I've had family members that have acted in that way. And I've seen people, I've grown up around people that consume stuff that I would never touch, never go near. And I get it. You know, I respect it in the way because what's like and I get it right from a productivity standpoint. You know, you could be so much more efficient if you ate clean and got good rest and all these things and didn't binge watch your shows at night. But I feel like some people have to do that to be able to just get out of bed the next day and be productive. And that's just the honest truth of it. Like some people need alcohol, nicotine and all sorts of things to function, amphetamines to function. Like some people need those things to even be contributing members of society. And that is kind of an unfortunate reality as well.
1: For some of them, it's a choice, right? They chose to binge watch. They chose to get McDonald's and eat whatever it is that they chose to eat. I think the issue is for those that can't choose. Where the only food they have available, they live in a food desert. And the only thing that's available is the corner store that sells, guess what? They only sell Cheetos and canned things with high sodium and high levels of of other things that aren't the best to consume. So it's, it's the issue of, yes, we have freedom, right? You can consume and eat whatever it is that you want. You want to eat this spray that I have right here. I can't because that's the free. I think the issue is when we don't give people don't have the right to choose because they don't have access. I think that's something that pulls at me all the time that, and we've seen it with the student loan conversation where people are saying, well, I didn't get my student loans paid for, so that person doesn't deserve to get my student loans paid for. Right. So saying, as a taxpayer, um, I can afford my own home and my own food, so why should I help anyone else? Because I think we're losing the, the privilege that we were born into. Like when I said, migrants in all of the, in a lot of these conflict-prone areas they didn't choose to be born in that place. We, you, your soul could have been born in that there's, there's, it was a, you know, by chance that you were born where you were in the situation that you were in with the affluence or lack thereof that you were born in. So I think we forget that when we kind of dehumanize these issues.
0: No, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, it is an ovarian lottery, right? The, the, just where you're born, who you're born to, you can't control that this is interesting do you feel that there should be responsibility associated with you know being born in a not terrible position in life do you think if you are born above the poverty level or if you have basic necessities like food shelter roof over your head do you think you have you bear some sort of responsibility in regards to helping other humans out or do you think we just have to fit into the place that you know fit into just being another human surviving cuz everybody has their own issues as well and it's an unfortunate yeah. part of reality and i'm not advocating for that way of thinking or saying that that's the better way of existing i'm just simply having a conversation and and, and trying to gauge you know how you think about these things and what your perspectives are so uh, i hope everybody listening doesn't think i'm I'm, <laughs> I'm being mean and saying you know we don't deserve to help people i'm just simply asking do you think people that are born in "quote unquote" privileged um, positions? Do you think they bear responsibility?
1: Yes, absolutely. Should you give indiscriminately to everyone and everything? No, that's not what I'm saying, and I think that's the message that gets confused when people think that way. But if you think that you got to the level of wealth or awful or even I, that the level of privilege that I'm in. Do I think that I got here without other people? No, Imp- impossible. Without the people that built the institutions that I got to go and profit from, without the people that in my ancestors that had to go through difficult times and villages, migrate to the capital city, go through issues of, of domestic abuse or go through different rise amongst the right. Every generation slowly rising to a higher socioeconomic status. If, it would be a lie for me to tell myself that i'm not standing on the shoulders of those people because everything that they did leads to where i am right now and i think we forget that and i think when we forget when we get to a certain level of fame or wealth we think i did it and there's validity to that yes you put in the effort to get to where you were, but the effort that the things that you did were using the tools that you didn't create someone else created those tools so i think. It's, it's humbling to remember that, that we don't get anywhere alone. And I think just going back to what I said earlier, where we tend to think that we're here and the rest of the world is out there. That's not true. Our body itself is a sponge. Everything that someone else is pluming into the air, for example, we're breathing it in something that someone says something that we see that someone commented hundreds of miles away on here, it's permeating into our mind and into our mindset. So it's a lie that we're all in our own lane doing our own thing or not. It's a crazy web of all of us being mixed together.
0: Yeah, absolutely is. And I think it's a very, very good way of looking at the world um, as opposed to, as you described it, being in your own kind of bubble and thinking that that's reality and I don't need to do anything. I'm just doing everything by myself. It's, it's, very um i don't even know what the words are to be honest because i think we should all think like this we don't all think like this so how do we get to a point where we all think like this because if i feel like if we all work towards the betterment of humanity and the human race as a whole as a collective we'll live in a better world our kids will live in a better world and it's just not something that is on anybody's priority list because we're caught up with buying a nicer car and getting nicer bags and going to nicer vacations to post about it or whatever pressing thing is part of your identity that you feel truly you know, serves a sense of purpose and makes you feel good about yourself. It's like really are kind of just going in circles. Um, so really, really cool that people like you are out here advocating for humanity and thinking in a more collective way and um, you know connecting the dots and and, and working towards that um, anything else you want to discuss anything else you want to talk about because um, I do have to jump <laughs> and record another episode I just realized uh, since we're oh, behind on schedule um, but is there anything and I'll cut that part out obviously but is there anything that you um, really want to touch
1: on before we wrap up? I think of just really quick, something that all of these issues, a simple example or a theory or a way of thinking that that can make us make sense of these things is the tragedy of the commons. Have you, have you heard of it? I have not. So the tragedy of the commons is the idea that we have this big meadow of land, right? If everyone shares that meadow, then everyone uses responsibly because they know that the other person next to them is going to need the water, is going to need the the grass, the animals that are all in this plot of land. The second that we separate those into separate units that everyone owns, every human tendency is to over exploit that piece that you were given. And they forget that the soil is connected underneath and that the vegetation, it ends up destroying the whole plot of land because of the structure that we shifted. And that's an idea, an example, and it's called tragedy of the commons. And I think if we hold on to that and we realize that it's human tendency to do that, we realize, it's better to think of the earth that we're living in, the resources, the food that we have as a shared resource. So that's what I'll leave you with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Really great to hear. And I think this conversation has been really insightful for me. I'm sure it's been insightful for the listeners as well. Let everybody know where they could find you, uh, where they could connect with you and anything else.
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at underscore Gabriella Fierro, underscore Gabriella with one L and Fierro is F-I-E-R-R-O. Um, straight from there, you'll find a link to my podcast, Absolutely Right, and to that podcast page as well.